C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain says this, What can be more a man's own than his new name, which even in eternity remains a secret between God and him? And what shall we take this secrecy to mean? Surely, that each of the redeemed shall forever know and praise some one aspect of the divine beauty better than any other creature can. This is Morgan Snyder, and I want to welcome you to the Become Good Soil podcast. For this podcast, what we're actually going to do is take you into a session from a recent Wild Heart Boot Camp. Normally, Craig teaches the session on the new name and the white stone moving from false self to true self. As most of you know, Craig's been in a big battle with leukemia, and so John asked that I'd step in and offer the session. And so I did my best at sliding into the new name session in a boot camp, and as I was praying over Become Good Soil and trying to provide resources for you guys that would strengthen you, really sense God suggesting that I offer this teaching on this podcast. So I hope you enjoy this. Tonight's a very hopeful night. The Father's saying it's a very hopeful night. So Jesus, we invite you in. We ask for fresh breath. We ask for fresh life. We receive the treasure hunt that John invited us into last night. We receive it. And we ask for the more. We ask that you would come and lead us and guide us by your spirit. Um, We know that you love us. And in the parts of us that don't yet believe that, we ask that they, um, you would give us the grace to open them up to you. We choose to risk. We choose to once again consent to the life of God moving in us. Come, God, have your way. Have your way for another cut. In Jesus' name, amen. John took us into Gladiator during the larger story, and we saw Act 4, and that's returning to the most pivotal scene when you see that what's on, on, on the line is the battle over identity. Right? John talked about love and validation being the deepest longing. And from that place, we establish identity. Did you notice Commodus? As John said, power can do many things. Commodus is a powerful, false emperor, and he longs for the adoration of his people. And still, he's taking his question to them. Do you see it? Again, once again, one true story every story borrows from. Commodus is terrified. And he's shuddering under the weight of the masses. He cannot buy their love. But then you have Maximus. He's a man who knows who he is. You look at the effect of a man who's unwilling to yield. Unwilling to yield what's true about who he truly is. This is straight out of Corinthians. When Paul, Paul described this scene. And he says, we are those who with unveiled faces reflect the glory of God. We're being transformed into the image of God, ever increasingly so, and it only comes from God. You see the unveiling, and John prayed so beautifully this afternoon. He said, let's just, we ask God that you would just strip off the fig leaf and expose what? The true man. And so we've been taking a journey this 
weekend, this morning, was orientation. Orientation and sustenance. And then we went into the poser to look at what we have become and what we've created as a way of hiding to deal with our shame and fear, to find life outside of God. Then we went into the wound to see the poser isn't the deepest thing. And now from the wound, from the wound, we can go to the deeper place to go, oh, because the wound happens because there is a battle, a violent battle against the man that God made us to be. It says it in Jeremiah. It's an amazing scripture. In all these scriptures, all these quotes, uh, I'll put them on a page on our website. So just soak it in. Um, Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew you. I knew all about you. I saw you, the light of day. I had a plan for you, a holy plan. Paul says, we are God's workmanship. And, you know, it's not a great translation that new living is so much better. Um, it's, it's poiema is the Greek word. And this is the way new living says, it's we are God's masterpiece he created. Just think about that. Where John took us earlier in the larger story, all that God created. You strip off the religion. He created waterfalls and mountains and, and wheat and barley and hops right? He created it all. So glad. Um, And all of that, all that was practice. All that was practice. You are his masterpiece. And that's why the enemy fears you. You are his masterpiece. And the mission of Jesus is to restore the whole man. And that restoration begins in the place of identity. And As we look at the stories we love, as John said, they all borrow from the truest story. And you'll begin to see this more and more. You think of like um, when we went into Jerry Maguire, right? As, As Bart talked about in The Poser, he lost his ability to bullshit. It's the me I always wanted to be. And then the next line, so key in that film, I was my father's son. Oh, do you see that? It's all borrowing from the gospel. Oh, he came home to his identity. Right, the Matrix. We'll go into that a lot more tomorrow. But it's a, you know, and John talked about it, stunning picture of the battle of the world, the flesh, and the evil one. And if you look at at the movie, the entire film hinges on the battle over identity. You have Thomas Anderson, cubicle jockey, right? That he's bought the lie of the small story and settled into the poser. But there's a whispering, there's a haunting, and you feel it too. You felt it since you were a boy, since you were a young man, the whispering of the true gospel, the true story, the true part of God that he meant in you that's utterly unique to you, like your fingerprint that can't be replaced by anyone. And then there's this amazing battle scene. And finally, he turns to face his enemies and Trinity says to Morpheus, what's, what's going on? And Morpheus says, he's beginning to believe. And the question is, what is he beginning to believe? He's beginning to believe that he's actually not Thomas Anderson. He's actually Neo, right? Which means the new man. Where'd they get that? Right? The battle is over identity. And Thomas Anderson begins to believe what's most deeply true. He's Neo. And then he's able to set the kingdom free. All these stories borrow their power from the gospel. And the gospel is a story of the restoration of the whole man. And that restoration can only happen when we begin to own 
our true identity. It's what God most fiercely wants to bring to you. And hear this, please. It's the single greatest opposition in your life. The battle is always over identity. It masquerades as all sort of external things and behavioral realities like Bart showed the iceberg, but it always gets down to identity. I want to go to another film clip to illustrate this. We're going to show an amazing clip tomorrow from Les Mis, Jean Valjean, and you see this heroic strength that uh, we would all long to have. I want to set that up to ask the question, where did that come from? How did Jean Valjean fight the battle to renounce the identity that was placed on him and receive the identity that was most deeply true about him? Jean Valjean's a good man. He's a good man with a brutal, brutal assignment set against him. He stole bread to feed his family to keep them from starving, and he paid for it almost two decades in chains. And the chains did something to the man. They hardened the man to the truth. And in that time, the whispers became steadfast in his heart, and he began to believe, I'm a convict, right? I'm a thief. That's who I am. Jean Valjean is very confused about reality. He is not a thief, and he's not a convict. He's a good man struggling with the warfare against him and the agreement that he made with it. Do you see that? But life gave him a yellow passport, and he became that passport. Right? I, I can't even read, but I know what it says. It says, I'm dangerous. This is so critical, you guys. We cannot live beyond our identity. It is literally a spiritual impossibility. You cannot live beyond your identity. And your actions reveal your beliefs 100% of the time. Your actions... Dallas Willard said that. Reveal your beliefs about who you are 100% of the time, about what you believe about reality. And so in the story, you see the rescue, the intervention, and what's so cool, the juxtaposition of these two scenes. One is Maximus, who unveils the reality of gladiator, right? The slave who became a gladiator, the gladiator that... defied an empire, he unveils it in courage and strength. And with Jean Valjean, it's merely a turn of consent. That's it. Promise. That's it. And then the father unveils him. Do you see that? All it takes, brothers, is a turning, turning towards the father, giving consent to say, I will receive you. I will allow you to unveil me. So he lives out of this script. But we, we, are, we are saddled with these identities, with the yellow passports. You know, one of the most vicious ones from the religious spirit is this, this, this horrific theology of sinners saved by grace. Or just sinners saved by grace. That, that's actually not true. That's not biblically true. Because we won't ever live beyond our identity. And a man who is a sinner saved by grace will always struggle to overcome the reality he's purely sinner. Paul doesn't talk like that in the New Testament. He talks, he refers to the saints in Ephesus, the saints in Corinth, the saints in Philippi. And he goes deep into their struggles with sin and the fornication, the idolatry. I mean, it's wicked. But he speaks to the man, right? 
men of Scotland. Men of Scotland. He bestows dignity. You are not a porn addict. You are a good and holy man who struggles a fierce and difficult battle with porn or with lust or with greed, fill in the blank. But that's not who you are. That's not your identity. We have to uncover the names that have been placed with us, on us that we have actually accepted, we've embraced, we've made agreement with so that we can break those. There's a phenomenal scripture, Ephesians 1, as I was praying through this. Ephesians, Paul talks about the authority that we have in Jesus, and John will go into this tomorrow in a session, but this is really cool. In Ephesians um, 121, he's talking about the authority that Jesus has over every power, over every dominion, and here's what it says, and over every name that can be given. See, Jesus has first rights, and he has the power to bestow name over every name that has ever been given to you. He holds the trump card, but you hold the keys. Jesus gives you the keys. We're giving you the keys to access the name that trumps every name that you have lived under for so many years. And that same word in the Greek in that passage is amazing. It's the word that Jesus uses in Luke 6.13 when he is calling his disciples. In the NIV, it says he designates them. But the truth of the transcription or the, the um, translation from the Greek is he names them with the same authority that he has. He all night, he wrestles. Jesus had to pray all night. And then you strip off the religion, you see the intimacy. What would it have been like when Jesus to come down from the mountain after a night of seeking his father and pulling the 12, saying, I I choose you. I choose you. I name you my apprentice, my brother, my friend. That's what he's naming you. It's the same word. And so that authority gives us the power to break those names. And we're going to pray through that tonight. But, you know, John mentioned that Jesus, even Jesus, needed to be validated from his father. He needed to receive that love, that identity. Well, if you look, the greatest assault against Jesus's life was also over identity. And you do the scriptural study on it. But what's amazing is he's bestowed with the blessing of the father and then immediately goes into the wilderness, right? And, and how is his, his ministry commissioned? By the assault against his identity. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God three times. And you think about this. First, he's vulnerable. He's hungry. He's lonely, tired. He took on the fullness of humanity. Think of his story. Mary was probably, scholars say, roughly 14 years old. And she becomes pregnant and she says it's by God. Like You don't need the internet to spread rumors. You just think about it, like it's real life. It's not exceptions, it's examples. Jesus really lived in in a town called Nazareth. And the rumors, the innuendos, oh, his mom's a whore. His mom's a whore. We don't know who his dad is. They say it's Joseph the carpenter, right? You think of the whispers that he grew up with, taking on the fullness of humanity, Right? Always the question. And then it talks about that whole story of the prophet not received in his hometown. Right? It says that he was teaching and people were amazed, but others were offended. And what caused them to choose to agree with offense? 
the scriptures, oh, they say, who is this? Isn't this Joseph's son? You see that? Do you hear the sneer in it? Oh, we know his story, right? All his life haunted with the temptation. He didn't give way to it. He was without sin, but tempted the accusation, you aren't who you say you are. You aren't who they tell you you are. The battle was fierce for his identity. And the father is even more fierce through the life of Jesus to come into that place of identity in us, restore us and set us free. He'll do it through all kinds of ways and he's been doing it for you. But our woundedness blocks us from receiving it. Uh, Thursday night when John said, what are the movies you love and the roles you play? As I was praying for tonight, the Holy Spirit was saying, that's more than wishful thinking. I'm saying something to my sons about who they truly are in my kingdom. That's not wishful thinking. It's speaking of your identity. It matters. Scriptures, stories that have moved you, geographies, relationships, the things that have moved your heart. The Father knows that. All of it is part of this tapestry that he's weaving together to reveal and bestow upon you your new name who you truly are in heaven. The man that he's relating to, uh, relating to because he knows who you are and knows who you will become. So he's always relating to the person that you are not yet, but you will become. That's so important to interpret reality. He's relating to the man that you, will, you are not yet, but you will become. And so Revelations 2.17, there's this great crescendo on this. Alex, maybe you can put that verse up. I don't have a lot of things to put up on the screen because this is Craig's session and kind of winging it. Um, But this, I couldn't skip this. So Revelation says, He who has an ear, let him hear. Hear what the Spirit says to him who overcomes. It's not without a fight. To him who overcomes, I will give him some hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it. This is so key. Known only to him who receives it. This would be a great verse to meditate on, to chew on um, in, in your time with God. But hidden manna, wouldn't it be great for God to give you the particular nourish, nourishment that you need today to live out of your reality and become wholehearted? And he talks about this white stone. And to be honest, for years, I'm like, what's with white stone? Like, I'm not into white. I don't, I don't get it. And, and so I started looking into it. And in the Greek, it's just pretty amazing because the word is lukos. And it's not white as in like the color white. It talks of a, 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 a glory not of this world. It talks about something from the heavens, pure and utterly good. And where it's used in scripture, it's fascinating, is in the transfiguration, Jesus is with his closest friends, and he gives them a sneak peek of act four. How awesome is that? How awesome would that be for us to have more and more sneak peeks of what's coming to fuel us? He shows himself in dazzling white, right? The the scriptures don't know what to do with it because we can't describe the fullness of act four when we see with a veiled face, but it is pure and utterly good. It's coming. And it's, it's a metaphor in a sense of it's not necessarily just one name, though that might be part of it, but it's this picture, this tapestry woven together to re- represent this unique place you have in God's heart that's only yours. 
It's his greatest gift to you. He has so many gifts to give you, but his greatest gift is this, the unveiling and bestowing of your true name. I want to read you a couple quotes from men much older and wiser than me um, to just soak in. Because Chesterton's, and these are all online, I'll give them to you later, but just receive them. Chesterton said, we are all under the same mental calamity. It comes down to this, we've forgotten our name. We have forgotten our name. We have forgotten what we truly are. Lewis says, C.S. Lewis, in Problem with Pain, what can be more a man's own than his name, which even in eternity remains a secret between him and God. How beautiful is that? And what shall we take this secrecy to mean? Surely that each of the redeemed, us as sons, shall forever be known and praise some one aspect of the divine beauty better than any other creature can. God's actually designed you to know something about his heart in a way that no one else can and will ever know. Do you see the intimacy? The giving of the white stone with the new name is a communication of what God thinks about a man to the man. It's George MacDonald. God thinks things about you. Did you know that? And he wants to communicate them to you. Dallas Willard says that we are built to count in God's kingdom as water is built and meant to run downhill. We are placed in a specific context to count in a way that no one else does. It is our destiny. It is what he is up to. And in that spirit, some of these scriptures really can find a deeper place in our hearts. John talked about Isaiah 61, where Jesus announces This is what I've come to do, to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. And then as he goes on in that passage in Isaiah, this is what it says. And and, and just feel in your heart as a man, just assessing reality of your story with the, the radical nature of what we're saying this weekend. I will rebuild old ruins, raise a new city out of wreckage. That's what I'll do for my sons. I will raise a new city out of the wreckage and start over on the ruined city. Take the rubble left behind and I will make it new. It's what he loves to do the most. He's really good at it. All the rubble, all the debris. We've heard the stories. Cause you to weep. Those are his favorite pieces to work with. He says, regarding my sons... Regarding you, put your name in there. Regarding Steve and Jesse and Tim and Dave. Regarding Lawrence, I can't keep my mouth shut. I can't hold my tongue until his righteousness blazes like the sun. Till he flames with salvation like a torch. I will give him a brand new name straight from the mouth of God. And that's why in Ephesians 3, one of the most powerful prayers when you're just completely disoriented and you just need to get to what's true, Paul gives us this. He says, for this reason, I kneel before my Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And the translation there is literally parcels out heaven 
I kneel before my Father in trust and risk, in hope, believing that I derive my name from him as he parcels out a portion of heaven for me. And it's out of that richness, that treasure, that you would be strengthened through power by spirit, by the spirit in your inner being. What is his name for you? How is he speaking to you about your name? How has he been speaking about it? How does he want to speak it tonight? What is your name? What is that place in the kingdom? So much of the the warfare is a distraction because the enemy knows if we can set our face like a flint on who we truly are, the warfare peels off. When our gaze is upon the living God who's pursuing us, the warfare just can't stick. It can't stick. It can't find. There's a scripture that says in John, that Satan couldn't find a place in him because Jesus was living out of the fullness of his Father in him. What's amazing in Scripture, how often um, when a man encounters God, he receives a new name. You hear the stories of Abram becoming Abraham. And, and, and again, just to come to the reality of it, rather than the religiosity of it, Abraham was 75. His wife was barren. Picture a 75-year-old woman who is told she will be the mother of nations. He will be the father of nations. I mean, think of that. But what's so beautiful is it says he believed. He believed in the identity being bestowed upon him, and then it was credited to him as righteousness. Then he was given out of that belief the name. He lived into the reality of the name that God gave him. Jacob becomes Israel after wrestling with God. Simon becomes Peter. Saul becomes Paul. It's their story. It's our story. You know, for me, I shared a little bit of my story this morning, um, and you guys know it from resources, but I was deeply emotional kid and deeply spiritual and had no place to take it. And as I grew, um, I learned that two things worked really well, leadership and women. And that's where I went. And eighth grade, teachers and students started coming to me saying, you ought to be our president, because that was the first time there was a president of middle school. And something rose up in me, and I became president, and on and on and on, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade student body. I promised I'd give it up and turned right to it a week into college, dorm council president. Just addicted. It was a narcotic. Leadership and women were the pose where more than anywhere else, it answered the question, apart from God, that I have what it takes. And, and it's just never enough. It's never enough. You know, Thomas Keating describes the false self like a bicycle wheel, that its, own, its gravitational center is itself. And so a bicycle wheel is when it's true, right? The faster it spins, the more it looks like it has a center. And as soon as it stops energy, it falls over. That false self has to keep churning, keep churning. It's never at rest. The true self, its gravitational center is God, and it can rest. You can learn, as Jesus says in Matthew 18, to take a real rest. It's available. So deeply um, addicted to leadership and women, and so much so, so not a believer, become a believer in college. College were my kind of four transitional years. I was so addicted that God actually had to take me out of the country, plot me in Europe, because I literally um, couldn't get away from the addiction. 
So he pulled me away and he gave me the semester where I'd just go fell walking every weekend when I wasn't in class and took three weeks afterwards to, to just, I couldn't have put words at the time, but it was this courtship with God. I became a believer and I was just learning to know who he was. I was ravenous for any peace that whispered of the kingdom. I found myself in St. Peter's and, uh, it, and I was in, um, in front of this Pieta, Michelangelo, as I'm sure a lot of you know, St. Peter's. And I grew up um, with Catholic stuff, which was messy. And so that was the first place I went to try to find God after becoming a believer. I remember being in front of, of this carving. It's a marble carving, single piece of stone. I'm sitting in St. Peter's and I, I could literally see it moving. It was so alive. And so there's this American tour group and, you know, just backpacking. I had no cash. So I get over next to this American tour group to try to hear like, what is this thing? And they describe it where Michelangelo, he had a piece of marble and he said it was a supernatural experience where he saw Jesus and Mary in the stone and he carved and he carved and he carved until he set them free. And in that day, God was planting a seed that I can only know now that he was after something. That's what he's after in us. He, sets, he sees us and he's chipping away. He's chipping away to set us free and reveal who we truly are. So I was planted these seeds and uh, I came back and, and, and I knew that I just needed to eject from that story of leadership and women. And so I, I, love, I was an econ major and planning on, you know, I went to Vanderbilt to find a Southern Belle to make my life work like all the other girls did and become a millionaire. And uh, I met God and a feminist from the Midwest and uh, never really worked out, still hasn't, <laughs> schlepping it with a ministry. So God's ways, Nahum says, are the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So I was stuck in a whirlwind and a storm, but I made just that little consent like Jean Valjean promised gave up my major, or my pursuit of Enron, Arthur Anderson, which all worked out quite well, I'll leave that stuff. <laughs> but I, I went to this little leadership academy that talked about being a husband and a father and a leader in the kingdom. And I thought, well, I know I want to be a dad. I know I want to be a husband. Where do you get training for that? It just felt like the biggest risk of my life to, to finally walk away from the poser and begin a new story. And in that, we are doing this um, program with John Witherspoon, and he was uh, one of the Declaration of Independence signers, uh, a minister from from um, from Scotland, and and I didn't know his story, but we're walking down this hall, and there's this brochure of John Witherspoon Fellowship, and it was like a movie trailer with all this copy where the words just jumped out, and it said he was the man who shaped the men who shaped America. And I couldn't have put words to it because my faith was so young. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit just burned in me of who you are. You're a man who shapes the men who shaped the kingdom. And what I, it was right after I was willing to give it all up that God came in and said, it's who you are. Now, you've taken it in horrible places, but it's who you are. Don't give it up because it will be your fuel. And what I didn't know is it would become my fuel for the next 16 years of becoming the kind of man that can be entrusted with that calling. You see, so often we marry desire and fulfillment. God whispers something. He speaks of our name. And we charge the fields because we never ask when, we never ask how, we never ask the second question, and we've not become the kind of man that can handle the mantle. And so it crushes us. 
Dallas Willard says, the primary work of God is finding men in whom he can entrust his power. And the story of most men is being entrusted with power and it bringing harm to themselves and those under their care. See, God is looking to entrust you with the kingdom. But first and foremost, you need to become the kind of man that can carry that mantle. And so often it's only our name that will give us enough courage, enough strength, enough humility to stay the course and go through the wilderness to become the man. Right, Maximus was the commander of the armies of the north. And then the enemy betrayed him, and he becomes a slave. Imagine what it was like for him when the maggots are just eating the infection and he's sold for shekels, but he knows who he is, and men follow him. There's just the other slaves, but he rises up, and he becomes who he was born to be against all odds. It's what God's up to in you. It's what he was up to in me, and it's what he's still up to. And so it was 16 years, and it's still ongoing, but just naming it, where God said, son, I want, you to, I want to give you permission to be young. So many of you had to grow up way too fast. We had to be men when we were boys, and now we're men, and we're still boys in ways. And you need permission to be a boy. He gave me that permission, entered me into training, and he gave me the words through John, the Lord's work in the Lord's way, through Francis Schaeffer, um, the, the challenge of the lowest seat, to take the lowest seat until God makes it impossible to do others otherwise. And so it's been years of hauling buckets and serving my kings, and, and it's been a holy and awesome experience. And it's still part, I'm still middle manager, and, and most of my life is behind the scenes um, serving this mission. But it's doing something in me. There's lots of stories of, of beauty and affliction in there, and Tozer says that it's doubtful that God can, cre- can entrust any man with greatness until he's been crushed. But receiving my name, not just once, but again and again, I carry it in my journal. It's, it's kind of this collage of names and pictures and words and stories. I have to pray it every day to sustain and thrive in my reality. I need to know who I am. And so he's been painting a tapestry for 16, now 17 years, so that I can own my destiny and I can have the fuel to go through the process to become the kind of man that God can entrust with his power. Because he's looking, traveling, his eyes are traveling all around the earth to see who can he can entrust with more. He longs to give you more. It's what he loves to do. And you're his number one strategy to bring the kingdom but he wants you first and foremost to become the kind of man that can carry it, and there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. It's amazing and just so humbling to uh, be able to share with you guys some of this. such an honor. I'm so honored to hear your stories, to stand with you and walk with you and share this retreat with you. And we do Become Good Soil retreats, that I've had a privilege of being a part of shaping that was not built. It, it built itself, but it was a product of those years of, of low seat at the table and seeking older men and sages. There's nothing I love more than sitting at Jeremiah 6 kind of men that have walked the ancient road and set out the, 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 the ancient steps towards life. And so we set up 30-ish age guys 
the, 30, the decade of the 30s with sages. And last May, I was sitting on a stage with this, a small group of guys, and I'd never been in a more heroic fellowship of these amazing sages and these courageous young men, my peers, and all guys that were sold out for the kingdom, all alumni of boot camp, men like you, that said, I want the more, I want the more, I want the more, I'm going after it. And God said, look, you, you are becoming, but let me do it my way. Let me do it my way. There's no shortcuts. Would you give God permission? Would you give him permission to come? I want to show one last clip before we pray about this and then go to be with God on it. I want to return to the kid. John, introdu- <clears throat> John introduced us to Russell Duritz at the beginning of the last session, the first scene in the movie where we see Russell of what he had become because he received the yellow passport out of the wounds and he became what the world said he was. And he helped other people be successful in posing as well. It's a great way to make money in this world. And now what I want to do is move to the end of the film because we got to see, oh, oh, that's why he became that man. You see the assault. But the beauty of the story is the wound isn't the deepest thing in that movie. The movie, as John said, is, is, is this whispering, this haunting of this red airplane, right? Which is the simple, the symbol of not only the life that he wanted, but actually the life that he was created for. The plane, the red plane was his new name in heaven. And it was haunting him and pursuing him. And the father was so relentless that he wouldn't let him move forward in his brokenness. So he kept thwarting. He's the divine thwarter, John said, in the journey of desire. And so we saw the younger Russell, the eight-year-old, and we saw the wound, and that scene was also the beginning of the integration. So what's amazing is God will heal the whole man, but it's only through dismantling the poser, coming into our wounds, inviting him to heal the wounds so all the little boys in us All those young places can be restored to the older man that's the man in this room, our adult age. All of them get restored, and it's the full integration of the person. And so I want to go into this scene. And 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 here's what I want you to to realize in the scene. It's so powerful is it starts, they're celebrating their birthday, and Russell's a new man because he's got his heart back. But he has no truck. He has no dog. He has no wife. He has no plane. They're literally having a birthday party of all their parts in the diner at the airport, right? Circumstances haven't changed, but the man is an entirely new creation. Sorrow lasts for a night, but joy does come. It does come. It does come. I want to pray. I really feel like the Father wants to say something to you, that you get it all back. Through Jesus, through his life, and by the particular unique leadership of the Holy Spirit, Father's saying, you get it all back. You get it all back. It's all coming. Some now, some later, much more now than you have been led to believe. Much more on this side of eternity than you've believed 
out of your broken heart? Would you let me restore your joy? Would you let me peel off the poser another layer, heal more of the wounded places? Would you receive my name for you? Would you let me bring it all back to you? There's something that I want to bring to the world through you. But more importantly, there's something I want to bring of my heart for you. Are you ready to become more of who you are? Because that's what I want for you. Part of this, brothers, is forgiveness. We prayed some forgiveness this afternoon, but the people, there are people that named you, and there's power in a name for blessing and for cursing. And the names spoken against us that aren't from God have a power to curse and judge. And as John said this afternoon, it's not saying it was okay or it didn't matter, but it's freeing our hearts saying, Jesus, you're enough. You're enough to break the lies over our identity. We need to forgive. And so, Holy Spirit, would you reveal the people we need to forgive? Would you reveal the people who have spoken the names over us that we have owned, that we've embraced, that we've lived? Would you reveal that tonight? Brothers, we have to break agreements with those names spoken, some of them for generations. And you're where it stops. The Holy Spirit's saying it stops with you if you'll let it. We have to break the agreements over the generations of names. I'm an addict. I am fear. I am a fearful man. I'm a boy. I'm not worthy of love and belonging. I'm an orphan. I'm a slave. I'm a disappointment. There's a lot more, but those are the ones that come to my heart. We do break every agreement that we've made with a name spoken over us that's not from you, God. We break those agreements and we choose to agree with the truth, the full portion of heaven, the peace of heaven parceled out for us since before we were in our mother's womb. We agree with that. God, we alone give you power to bestow our identity. And so we choose to receive it tonight. We choose to receive more of it. John eight forty seven say, those that belong to God hear what God says. And so we declare in the spiritual realm that we belong to God. I belong to God and therefore I hear what he says. And so I break every barrier that wants to keep me from hearing my father's voice from hearing the life of Jesus, from hearing the leadership of the Holy Spirit being spoken to me, I break those agreements and I receive the ministry of God to flow into who I truly am. God, you have authority over every name and so I invoke your authority and I cancel every name spoken against me that's not from you. And I receive the name that you have for me. I receive the truth that I am your masterpiece. And that you have set a holy and sacred calling for my life. Lord, that you will rebuild something out of the rubble. You will build something new. I will receive a brand new name 
The Scriptures say straight from the mouth of God. I agree with that. I receive it. I open my heart. I give you permission and access to speak it. Who am I to you, God? Who am I to you? What is my name and what is it that you think of me? If you'll choose to speak, I will choose to listen and to turn my heart to you. Every part of me. Turn my body, soul, and spirit, my heart, mind, and will to you. Amen. If you enjoyed this and would like more podcasts and blogs and other resources to take this decade of excavation and go deeper, join us at becomegoodsoil.com.